You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, it's summertime, and that means it's time to start getting our trail cameras ready and our trail cameras out to start capturing pictures of velvet bucks. And our friends at Exodus are kicking things off with Velvet Fest. Now, what is Velvet Fest? Long story short, Velvet Fest is the opportunity for you to win a variety of different prizes just by purchasing Exodus Trail Cameras, one of the best trail cameras on the market. Now, until July 12th, when you purchase any trail camera, you will be automatically entered into a drawing to win a variety of prizes from companies like Wicked Tree Gear, Maven Rifle Scopes, Tethered Tree Saddles, and of course, Exodus Trail Cameras. Be sure to follow Exodus on Facebook and Instagram, and be sure to visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com for more information on Velvet Fest. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. Hopefully, everyone had a great Independence Day and a great weekend with the family celebrating this thing we call freedom. That's awesome. And uh, I had a great time with some real good friends. Finally, you can buy fireworks in Iowa. Uh, They changed the law a couple years ago, so now we have this little tradition where we basically blow crap up in our backyards uh, between me and my neighbors and uh, had an absolute blast Uh, got together with friends we did the whole thing right we went swimming Uh, then the kids basically just ran around the yard like maniacs Uh, the adults just bs'd on the deck and uh, we grilled some awesome food and we ate and then we did fireworks and I am sunburnt and exhausted right now but uh, that's all part of it so today we have a really good podcast we have a returning guest John Hudspeth he's from Oklahoma and he's going to talk to us a little bit today about his Oklahoma properties but he's going to tell a story that everybody needs to listen to and that is the story of how access can change the game for you right sometimes this x this thing we talk about a lot is like access kills deer and it does i'm a huge believer that access to your tree stand is absolutely everything and uh, we talked to john today about how he made a 20 yard change and it was a day and night change for him that led him to uh be able to see more deer and ultimately kill a big mature buck and uh, that's what we talk about today a really awesome podcast really informative and you know a lot of these guys who are hunting and sharing these stories are just like me 
right? They're nobodies, right? They're average Joes, I guess I would say. But I hope everybody can take away what you learn on these podcasts and maybe try to apply it. You know, if, if some guy finds success in a different state, I don't want you to copy what he does. I w- want you to take that information and apply it to your strategy, not try to copy because as we all know, everybody hunts different. Even in the state of Iowa, everybody hunts different, but you can't compare the South to the North or the East to the West or whatever. So take that and apply it to your uh, strategy. Maybe say, okay, let me tweak it this way and it might work better on the property that I hunt, right? Maybe I have a tree stand that if I access it through a different way, it might not spook the deer going in, whatever. So without going off my rocker here, that's what today's podcast is about and it's a really good one now before we get into a podcast you know i gotta make some money and i gotta talk about wasp archery now i tell you i tell you guys this every time and i feel like uh, i'm getting to the point now (laughs) where i can't uh i don't know how to talk say so many good things about the companies that i work with but wasp is one of them and i had a marginal shot on my deer this past year right i think i've talked to you guys about this but You take a sharp, durable broadhead, and that's this is why I'm a fan of fixed blades. A sharp, durable broadhead with a heavy arrow, and on my marginal shot this year, I still got the penetration that I needed to kill the animal. Now, it wasn't one of those shots that the the buck dropped dead in his tracks in 10 yards, right? It's for that shot where okay I was a little back or I was a little forward or it's a little high or it's a little low but it gets the job done right and wasp has a really good on their website it says you take the shot wasp makes the kill and that's kind of true right you still have to practice you still got to do it but their broadhead is the first thing that touches the animal on your arrow so that needs to be a high quality product right and that's why uh, I'm a huge fan of um, the fixed blade broadheads me personally right i'm a boss four blades guy but they have a new broadhead out now called the halon check that one out or if you're a mechanical broadhead guy um i used to be i used to shoot jackhammers uh back in the day and i killed a lot of deer with the jackhammers so whether you're a a fixed blade guy or whether you're a mechanical guy i mean they got everything and uh it's just a badass company because they're you know they manufacture their products in the United States, and uh, they have a great team of people. Fred Doherty, one of the um, engineers for the company, is a really good guy, and uh, is one of the smartest guys I know in regards to broadhead technology. Right? You could you could sit down and talk to the guy for hours about it. And uh, so really good people, really great company, really good products. And when you wrap all those things together, man, you got a good company, right? So. If you want to buy, go to their website, wasparchery.com, and you can save 20% off your order by entering the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS, and you'll save 20%. So take advantage of that. Now I've, I've done my commercial. It's time to get into the podcast with returning guest, John Hudspeth. All right, on the phone with me right now, Okay, I'm going to screw up your last name, but I know your first name's John. That's right. <laughs> You're a returning guest. What's your last name? 
Hudspeth. Hudspeth. Mm-hmm. Right. John Hudspeth, how the hell are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh, you got me out of the heat a little bit today, so no complaints about that. And, uh, yeah, doing really good. Good. So let's see. Recap from the last podcast. You live in Texas and hunt in Texas and Oklahoma. You're, like, right on the border there, right? Right. Uh, just recently in October, officially moved to Oklahoma, actually. Um, okay. Uh, got married and moved over here. And, uh, last time I was kind of just, I don't know, I guess just getting into the ranching thing and I have not left it yet. So, uh, so officially living in Oklahoma, uh, hunting in Oklahoma mostly and, uh, living here too. So, yeah, I'll tell you what, they always, you always hear this term sleeper state, right? Oh man. Uh, there's a, this this buck like Kentucky was the last was the last sleeper state, but I think what we're trying what we're finding out is any area that holds whitetails has populations for the most part that are above and beyond the average, right? And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Oklahoma is that next state that everybody's starting to talk about. Yeah, it's a. Um... You know, it's got a low population of people and a high population of deer. Um, so uh, with an archery license, uh, which is over the counter, you get uh, two buck tags and three doe tags. Uh, or you can do, uh, I'm sorry, two buck tags and four uh, doe tags. You get six tags. Um, and so, uh, and they do a real good job of, they have a, a pretty short rifle season, which if you're a rifle hunter is kind of annoying, but if you're a bow hunter, it's fantastic. So, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, I tell you what, my bat, my buddy, Adam Parr from the transition wild podcast, he, uh, hunted Oklahoma way West in the panhandle this year. And he said there was some decent, he ran into some decent deer out there. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm the complete opposite of that. I'm very southeast, but uh, it's it's two very different kinds of terrain. But the deer, the uh, the quality, I guess, is what you're going to say, is pretty even throughout the state. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this: um, Why don't you talk to us? Give us a refresher on what the terrain is like uh, in the area that you spend most of your time in in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got to travel up to, uh, Iowa this, uh, spring for the Iowa deer classic. And yep. so I kind of know a little bit more about where you're at and it's pretty similar. Um, the terrain is not quite as steep. Um, you know, we do have some, some rolling terrain and some, uh, hills and stuff. Um, but it's just a little flatter, um, you know, not pancake flat, like a lot of people probably imagine. Yep. Um, yep. we are just South of, uh, some mountains. And just north of, well, I, we're just north of the Red River. Our place is actually on the Red River. Um, and so we're kind of in that middle ground between the mountains and some of the more flat stuff. Gotcha. And that's in southeast Oklahoma, Correct. right? Okay. So you have you have some rolling hills. What's the soil like there? It, it varies from one place to the next. Uh, you know, closer to the river, you're going to have a lot more sandier soil. Um, you get away from the river, you, you have some, some just black land, uh, you got some rockier stuff. Um, so our particular place where I do most of my hunting, it really has a little bit of everything. So down close to the river, we have a, a pretty flat sandy bottom where you can grow just about anything you want. Uh, and then there's a ridge that gains about 70 feet of elevation. 
and uh, kind of down the center of our property, it's kind of sandy black land. And then on each side, it falls off into some more rockier uh, creek drainage type stuff. So gotcha. it's a little bit of everything. Gotcha. And depending on who you talk to, right, uh, soil has a lot to do with body size and uh, and antler growth just from the pure fact that what they eat, if, if they're eating a healthy plant with lots of nutrients and they're getting that plant's getting it from the soil, right? And that's why everybody says Iowa is such a great state because we have such great soil, right? Now, when, you, when, I, when I think of Oklahoma, I don't think maybe you can correct me because you're a rancher, but I don't think of black topsoil. Right. Uh, and again, it kind of varies throughout the state. Uh, Western Oklahoma is very sandy. Um, a lot of wheat fields, stuff like that. Uh, central Oklahoma and Southern along the red river, there's a lot of good, uh, farmland, uh, soybeans, corn, just like Iowa. And then the eastern more part of the state, that's a little more rocky. Like I said, you actually get into some small mountains kind of on the Arkansas border. Um, so it, it just varies, um, which is kind of cool. You know, lots of uh, – a big variety of habitat. Uh, eastern Oklahoma actually has uh, some small bear seasons now. Uh, western Oklahoma has some small elk seasons. So, uh yeah, obviously some smaller populations of those, um, but it's a it's a really cool whitetail state because you can you got mountain bucks, you got corn fed bucks, and you got kind of brushy hilly uh, sand bucks. So yeah. that's awesome, man. And, and then you guys have some slobs out there, uh, right? We do, we do. Uh, still waiting to find a real big slob, but uh, I've I've done decently well. Right. Uh, but we kind of talked about it last time that uh you know. Pretty much every year, there's a 200-inch buck or, you know, a couple killed in basically all four corners of the state. Yeah, yeah. Now, is Oklahoma uh, a bait a bait state where you can use bait or feeders to hunt? It is. It is. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So how much how much does that play into your strategy throughout the year? Um, it's – I hate – I don't know. It's hard to say it's becoming less – uh, I do use bait. I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. Um, but how I use it has changed a lot over the years. Um, uh, you know, just using it as what it is, a food source and not necessarily a bait site is kind of how I use it now. Gotcha. Um, you know, an established bait site just works just like a food plot. You know, you got a, the, a bedding area and obviously the feeding area. And what I've started doing lately and finding more of my success is trying to get uh kind of in between those two just like you would if you were hunting a food plot instead of a corn feeder gotcha so of the deer that you've killed over the past you know handful of years um how many of those have how many of those have been directly over a, a bait uh, station um I'd say only one out of my last five in okay. the last years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So most of them are, you know, either, I guess if you are, if you can, if you're considering that baiting station, a food source, it's going to mm -hmm. come somewhere in between, in between the food source and the bedding area or in the bedding areas. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and then also in our bottom, we, uh, we plant, uh, some rye for hay. Um, and so it's, it's not like a row crop. Like we just plant, we, uh, no-till drill it in straight into the grass. 
And so, you know, that works as a great food source, more of a food plot than a, than a bait station type thing. Uh, so I've been able to take advantage of that. And then obviously just rut tactics, um, late season. I, I'm a, a huge late season fan now. Um, that's kind of something I've learned over the last couple of years that works really well in this area. Um, of, of those last five bucks I killed in the last three, uh, two two of them have been in january one in late december and uh one in november uh so yeah i'm most people you know when the rut ends they start getting nervous and i and i used to be that way too um but now i've kind of learned it's it's just getting good when the rut ends and that's when my my hardcore hunting really uh sets in yeah okay so um what do you focus on more throughout the year do you are, do you focus on rifle hunting do you focus on crossbow or archery equipment or are you kind of whatever's in season that's what i'm gonna hunt uh i am mostly archery um i'm not afraid to pick up a rifle every now and again uh kind of like i said before oklahoma is a uh short for i uh, say short it, they actually just lengthen a little bit it's about 14 days um and so normally during that 14 day rifle season i'll pick up a rifle you know two or three times just to kind of get a change of pace sit back relax you know see some deer stuff like that um but the majority of my hunting is still with a bow gotcha gotcha so what's the what's the population of deer down like in, in your area I couldn't give you like a deer per square mile, but it's pretty high. Um, when you sit in a tree stand, how many deer are you seeing in a uh, average hunt? Um, the way I've been hunting the last few years, it's gone down. I've kind of sacrificed the numbers for you know the more mature bucks, but you know it's nothing to see five deer. That's pretty common. Okay, all right, and uh, that that's uh, okay with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, if, you know, previously, you know, there were some mornings you could sit on a feeder and see eight, nine, I think my record's probably 12. Um, but, uh, like I said, you know, of those 12, 10 of those might be does and the other two would usually be like a, a yearling, maybe a two year old buck. Gotcha. Um, and so I kind of, I hit a point in my life where I was willing to sacrifice that to, you know, not see a deer at all, uh, or maybe see, like I said, a big mature buck. So. Okay. All right. So I want to like pivot here a second and I want to talk about like this time of year, what are you doing to get ready for the upcoming season? Uh, not a whole lot because it's really hot. Right. <laughs> not as much as I should be. Um, I try to get most of my stands and stuff hung, uh, earlier in the year. Um, usually like April. Um, I'm, I'm big on, uh, well, first of all, like I said, I, I, I love late season. So I do a lot of, uh, hunting late season and see a lot of the movement and then do a lot of postseason scouting. Um, so I pretty much have most of my new stand locations picked out, um, by the time the season ends or soon after. And I try to get some stands hung before it's too hot. Um, I got a big pile of, uh, trail cameras sitting here in the floor with a bunch of batteries next to them. Uh, I'm hoping this coming weekend to to get those out, start getting some inventory. Um, but, uh, yeah, not a whole lot during the summer. Uh, it's just, honestly, it's just too hot and I'm kind of a wimp. Yeah, I get you. I got that. Uh, I, I went out because it's the only day I had, I went and set trail cameras up, uh, 
this past Sunday. And, uh, wouldn't, you know, it was 90 degrees by like 11 o'clock in the yep. afternoon or in the morning. And, uh, good thing I was only doing trail cameras that day and not setting up tree stands or it would have been a rough one. Yep. Yep. And I, I do still have about two stands to hang and it's only getting hotter. Uh, yeah. so I do need to get on that, but yeah. It's almost uh, like you're waiting for a, a, a rainstorm to come. And exactly. Exactly. Hang in the rain or whatever. But anyway, um, all right. So are you putting together like a hit list every single year? I mean, on, on the property that you hunt, do the deer stick around? They do. Uh, yeah, I'm, I keep a pretty good tally. Um, uh, our place is pretty large, um, but uh, with that size like i said it is a working cattle ranch so um you know it's a thousand acre property but before everybody you know freaks out and talks about how big it is you know a large portion of that is wide open cattle pasture um you know it's not just a big nice luscious farm where deer uh, run all over the place Um, and so the deer kind of uh you know pushed into the timber a lot um you know at night they'll come out into like that bottom field when we plant rye um but you know, right now that big bottom is just basically 300 acres of Bermuda grass, which, you know, deer don't mess with or eat. Um, so it's a little bit of a, uh, a desert to them in the summer. Uh, it's not till the fall when we plant that stuff that they that it brings them in. Gotcha. So let's see here. There, you keep pretty good tabs on them through trail cameras. You have a good idea. So how like what time of year do you think you have a hit list put together of you know deer that you're going to be attacking in the fall i typically have it pretty well narrowed down by the season start which is october 1st um you know like i said we get a lot of bucks returning um there's usually one or two surprises every year um but just this will be my i think seventh year uh hunting this property and so i've learned pretty well you know where i need to put cameras to find most of the bucks um in the summer just with it being so hot and you know water being scarce and stuff it's pretty easy to to pinpoint uh where they're at and figure out you know who grew who shrunk uh who came in and uh and then usually the beginning of october they kind of disperse um and like i said the way our property kind of sits up it's a little more arid towards the north and then the river bottom on the south and there's a creek on each side. And so basically, you know, early October, they kind of break and basically half of them go to one creek, half of them go to the other, and they start spreading out north and south along those creeks. Okay. All right. So at the beginning of the season, what do you cons- what would you consider it like a successful deer or not necessarily a successful deer, but like, are you looking for a three-year-old, a four-year-old, something like, is it age? Is it antler size? Is it a mixture of both? It's mostly, uh, it's mostly age now. Um, it used to be antlers and I don't know. I just kind of found myself getting in trouble by shooting some better younger ones. Um, and so it's more age. Uh, I'm really trying to go five and a half and older now. Um, I have, like I said, I, I did kill four year old uh, in twenty seventeen, um, and so I'm not against it by any means. Um, but I'm really trying to go for five and a half and older. 
Gotcha. So it sounds to me like the property that you have access to, although it's big, it's still a working cattle ranch, but you have some really quality deer, some really good quality deer that are on it all year, every year. We do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, what what's the pressure like on the farms that you hunt? It's heavier than I would like. Um one kind of bad side is like most of the timber is kind of on the edges of the property and those creeks run pretty close to the fence lines. Um, and last year I think I counted five stands and three feeders within like 10 yards of our fence line. Okay. Um, so they're not dumb. They're, they're, they're trying to hunt deer that are living on your property. You know, your neighbor's deer are always bigger than yours, of course. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we have, uh, two different neighbors on the west, one on the north, and three to the east. Um, and, yeah, like, I, you know, they're all fairly large properties also. I think the smallest one is 300 acres, but for some reason they they think that all the deer are on our property and they got to get them out. So, yeah. Um, and they hunt long and hard, pretty much all of them. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so what are you doing other than having feeders on your property and maybe planting some additional, uh, additional rye or wheat on your, on your farm to keep the deer on your property? Uh, I guess the nicest thing is our property doesn't get that much pressure. Um, it's basically just me. Uh, my brother is kind of starting to get back into hunting. Um, and, uh, my sister's, uh, they just got married and them and their husbands will come up, uh, you know, around Thanksgiving, but they typically just hunt like one or two days a year. Um, so for the majority of the season, I pretty much have it to myself, which really helps. Um, and then one of the benefits to, to living close by and, and working on the ranch is, uh, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily get to hunt more than the average person, but when I get to hunt, uh, is is awesome you know if if i if it's monday and i see that there's a cold front coming in wednesday you know i'll talk to my my brother that i work with and be like hey you know what do i need to do these next two days so that i don't have to work you know wednesday morning and uh and you know so i'll get a quick hunt in wednesday so (coughs) um like i said keeping light pressure and really hunting when the time is right is uh probably the best benefit that i have Okay, so that sounds to me like you're just trying to be real efficient with the days. Exactly, yeah. Okay, all right. So what are the deer doing on the farm? Like when does when does it really start getting good on the farm and the deer start showing themselves, the big boys? Our, our rut is a little bit later than the typical Midwest rut. Um, if I had to put a date on it, I'd say like November 24th. Um, and so you know, a week or two before that. Um, it's, it's one thing that is weird. I I feel like, you know, everybody loves Halloween. I still love Halloween. It seems like randomly they just show up on Halloween for no reason, but then they kind of go back into hiding for another week or two. Um, and so normally mid November is when things start getting good. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, uh, one of my favorite days out of the year to wish I was hunting, but not be able to go hunting (laughs) because (laughs) I got kids and yep. we do trick or treat and i'm not joking the last 2 years i've had a shooter buck show up in not the same deer but mm-hmm. the uh same pinch point 2 years in a row now 
yep. in daylight that mm-hmm. uh so uh oh well i got about 10 more years of that and then i can maybe start hunting uh halloween yeah. it, it's weird <laughs> i have a stockpile of pictures from halloween even going back to you know before we had these properties and i was hunting on like my grandpa's old place that just yeah just randomly october 31st just some random freak giant showing up but yeah yeah anyway all right so you say your rut is the 24th but does mm-hmm. does that keep you out of the woods until like the second week in november then or or what are you doing no um in the right conditions i'll still get out there in october um uh I, i've had very very little luck in october um but you know I, I run a bunch of trail cams and there's a bunch of people that say don't hunt mornings in october or you know stay out of the woods as much as you can and stuff but uh you know, for me, if I think I have a shot, I'm going to take it. And, uh, you know, I have seen some deer in October, just never been able to, to close the deal. Um, but, uh, we have, we seem to have a lot of bucks active in the morning in October. Um, you know, real, real early and they're not sticking around long, but, uh, so I, I still hunt October. I just haven't had much success. Gotcha. gotcha. So, but it's not like you have a date that says I will not hunt this and I will not hunt this. I will only hunt this. It's just, so you just kind of look at the conditions and if the conditions are good, you're going hunting. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. I, start, I start getting, uh, I start getting real excited probably like the second week in November Okay. Uh, because of, you know, because of history, I, I know that's when things are going to kind of start picking up. Gotcha. But gotcha. Uh, I'm necessarily staying out of the woods before that. Yeah, absolutely. So the third week is when you really start, uh, getting hot and heavy into the, you know, getting focused on getting out in the stand and whatnot. What are you doing at that point? Are you really trying to like go check all your trail cameras and take a look at where all the deer are at? Or do you have places in your head that you know, you're going to go to regardless of of what the trail cameras are showing you and and start off that way? Uh, A little bit of both. Um, Most of October and early November, uh, I'll have my trail cam cameras pretty spread out. Um, and then usually, you know, early November, um, I kind of have a little bit of an idea of where the buck or top two bucks or whatever that, uh, I'm going to go after will be. And so a lot of times I'll pick up, um, a few of the random cameras off trails and stuff and kind of try to really pinpoint where those bucks are, you know, if I have one camera that I've been getting them on fairly regularly, I'll put maybe two more cameras in the area uh, and kind of stay out of there as much as I can. Um, and again, just from hunting the the, the ranch so much, uh, I, I got probably three stands that uh, you can take the rest of my stands away. As long as I have these three stands, I'm probably going to kill something every year. Gotcha. Um, Two of them are, you know, if we have a cold front down here, it, it's going to be a north wind. Um, so two of them are set up uh, off of some points, uh, perfect for a north wind where I can come in from the south. And uh, both of them, I, I cross the creek and climb up into my stand. And, I mean, it's just the access is just so good that nothing picks me up. Right. And uh, so I've had a lot of good encounters there. And then – I finally found a stand. Uh, if we, if it's not a cold front, our usual wind is the southeast, and uh, so I've really been working to find a, a good southeast stand just for the days where it's you know not a cold front. <coughs> and uh, 
and I think I finally got one. That's where I ended up killing my uh, my second buck this year. Um, basically, just right up the ridge from uh, from one of my good north wind stands. Um, and so I basically have a little uh, draw where I figured out where they bed. And so with a, a north wind, I'm hunting the south side. With a south wind, I'm hunting the north side. Gotcha. So it sounds to me like you have killer access to your your uh, stand locations. Yep. Uh, that's something I've learned, honestly, from listening to your podcast, just other guests you've had on. And uh, um, one of the stands I'd had up for probably three years, and I'd get tons of pictures and then I'd go in there and hunt it and just never see anything. And it, it bothered me so bad. And uh, and then uh, one day I just kind of took a step back, you know, pulled out the maps, did a lot of walking. And uh, I found this this little spot. That I was like, man, this looks like a pitch, uh, perfect uh, bedding area right here. And uh, I saw a little opening and I took like 10 more steps and I popped out on the road that I was walking in on to get to that stand. And, uh, and so I'd, uh, you know, there's no telling how many times I'd probably walked within 15, 20 yards of a buck and they just knew right where I was going. And so all I did was move, I moved the stand maybe 20 yards and, uh, I access it from the South now. And, uh, I, I don't know how many mature bucks I've seen in that stand now, but quite a few. So was that a night and day? Like, like, was that a, a the flip of a switch? Once you, once you started doing that and changed the access, you were seeing oh. more deer? Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, like I said, I had tons of pictures, but I had never seen a single mature buck out of that stand. And basically all I did was change up my access and, uh, yeah, I've seen at least four or five, uh, mature bucks out of that stand now. Okay. All right. Well, that's a good thing, right? I mean, that's definitely a example of making these changes and tweaking your tree stand and access, uh, Mm -hmm. that it results in, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a perfect example, right? Yeah. I mean, for everybody who's listening right now, it's something as simple as moving a stand 20 yards and changing the access route to it can have a huge impact. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right. So I want to talk about this, this past year, cause you had a, a really good season from what it sounds like. Yeah. Yep. All right. So why don't you do on, on two, the 2018 season? Um, why don't you, kick us off with um from the deer that you ended up harvesting did you have them identified as shooters before the season even started i did i did uh both of them i had uh, history with uh the first buck i killed uh was a really wide eight point uh he was a, a five-year-old uh that i talked with the neighbor about quite a bit um and the second was a eight and a half year old uh, that I had had pictures of since the first year we got the property, uh, as a three-year-old. Um, and so, uh, yeah, both of them were, it was really neat to kind of bring those stories to a close and, and, uh, yeah, and figure them out, honestly, because, uh, both those bucks I had seen the, the first buck I had seen maybe one or two times in person. Uh, and then the second buck in six years, I had laid eyes on him one time. Okay. So, um, one guy is somewhat visible and the other guy is not visible at all. Right. All right. So going into the season, did you say to yourself, I feel very confident with one of these deer? 
Uh, I, I did. <laughs> Oddly enough, I felt more confident on the first buck, um, but kind of a little, uh, I don't know, interesting part of the story is I had talked to my neighbor about him before the season started, and uh, we had kind of, he told me that they were going to let the deer go in another year. Um, he was very visible to them. I had quite a few pictures of him, but just hadn't seen him in person. Uh, they apparently were seeing him all the time. And, uh, as a, he was very, he was really easily identifiable cause he was really wide. I mean, just noticeably wide. Um, and as a, uh, four and a half year old, we, we talked about it and just decided because he's so easily identifiable, he'd be a really good one to let go another year. And so we agreed on it. And, uh, and so the next year came around and he really didn't grow any. He uh, he might have put on just a little uh, little bit of tine length, um, and not just a, a crazy scoring deer, but he was just really cool looking because he was real wide. Like I said, real easy to pick out. And so I was asking uh, him about him before the season started. We just kind of ran into each other on the road, and he was like, "Yeah, I think we're I think we're going to let him go another year." Um, and so I kind of ignored uh, him and. I knew where he was hanging out. He was uh, down close to the river along this little ridge line. And uh, uh, October went by, no luck. Uh, November went by, no luck. Uh, I hunted pretty hard during the rut, just nothing really came together. Uh, we had not the best rut year. Um, <clears throat> and so late season starts rolling around. And again, that's when I really start getting excited. And, uh, uh, I checked a camera probably around December 15th or so, and <clears throat> this uh, wide buck had been in this little food plot below the ridge like every day, every day. But again, I was like, well, you know, I gave my neighbor my word, wasn't going to uh, kill him. And so just kind of wrote it off. I was like, well, you know, hopefully he's still there next year. And so I was really focusing on this other buck, the eight and a half year old I called eight ball. And, uh, so I was focused on, on, focusing on eight ball and he was becoming more visible, which he had never been before. Like I said, in, in the previous five years or whatever, uh, I'd only seen him one time ever. And as far as I know, I'm the only person that had ever seen him. And, uh, <clears throat> so I'm really focusing on him. And, uh, one day kind of a random side story, uh, we had to take some bulls, uh, to the vet and, our neighbor's daughter was a vet tech and so I was talking to her and we both kind of pulled out our phones and started sharing you know trail cam photos and stuff well uh I started asking her about a couple bucks that had disappeared over the years that I'd asked her dad about and he told me well you know I think that buck went north or you know that buck I think got hit by a car or whatever well she pulls out her phone and starts showing me all these pictures of these bucks and they had not disappeared they had been killing them and she's like, yeah, this one my sister got, this one I got, you know, this one dad got, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm learning that this guy's basically been lying to my face the whole time and telling me that, oh, yeah, these bucks just disappeared, but really they've been killing them. <laughs> which, which, yeah, which is weird because, like, I mean, I, I don't care that they kill them. You know, I'd rather know. Right. Um, but I think what he was doing was he was trying to – to lead me on basically, you know, like one of them was a, a real nice 10 pointer that, uh, I'd been after for like three years 
And he was one in particular I'd asked him about. It, and he was like, oh, yeah, we still see him. He's just up north. Well, her little sister had killed him the year before. And, you know, he just lied about it. And so, uh, again, like I wouldn't have cared if, if they had killed him, but I didn't like that he was lying to me. Yeah. And so that was a Friday afternoon. And uh, Saturday afternoon, I went down to that food plot and killed that buck the next day. <laughs> the the wide one? Wide one, yep. Yep, okay, all right. But uh, And what did that buck uh, score out at, and what was his age? Uh, he was five and a half, and he scored right at 130. Okay. Uh, so not a bad buck at all, not a giant. Like I said, his, the coolest thing about him was just kind of, he was 20 inches wide. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so he just, yeah, he looked really cool. Gotcha. All right. And that was in, that was in that tree stand where all you had to do is like go through the creek and get up in the stand. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. All right. But this year, uh, you also shot another buck, right? And, uh, these are both archery bucks. Yep. Okay. So why don't you walk us through the second, uh, the second buck of the year? Yeah, this one this one's a little bit more exciting. Uh, the backstory on the other one was more exciting than the actual hunt, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So this is a deer uh, again, not a not a super high scoring deer, um, but he was he was actually one of the first bucks that I ever got a picture of on this property, um, and that would have been in 2013. And I guessed him as a, a three year old. Um, 2014 got a bunch of pictures of him, never saw him. Uh, 2015 as a five-year-old, uh, we hunted him real hard, um, got pictures of him, never saw him. Uh, and like I was hunting him, both my sisters hunted him when they came up. Uh, we actually had, uh, some guys from out of state come in and I was like, Hey, if y'all see this deer, kill him. Nobody saw him. Um, and so then 2016 rolls around. And, uh, we bought another property, uh, that my brother lives on now and complete luck. I, uh, lucked into a big buck over there in uh, late October. Um, and so, uh, after that I was like, you know what? Like, I'm very happy with this buck. Um, we didn't have a lot of older deer, uh, at my normal property that year. And so I was like, I'm just going to kind of give it a rest. I uh, still took a few does, and I decided I'm just going to learn. Um, and so that was when, you know, podcasts were really getting popular. And so I listened to a bunch of podcasts, um, you know, got into the, the Dan Enfault hunting beast stuff, started learning about bedding. Um, that's when I, uh, you know, took that walk and learned about uh, where those bucks were bedding in that little draw, uh, changed some stands up, and just – just learned. Uh, and then another valuable thing I did was I left my trail cameras up, uh, way longer than I normally would. Um, I think I left them up till April that year. Um, and, uh, I also learned that part of the reason I wasn't finding many sheds was because I was looking too early. Um, most of our bucks were holding their antlers into like mid March. Yeah. And so I was going shed hunting in, you know, February, like everybody else does. Um, and there just weren't any antlers on the ground. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but man, I, I learned a lot about our deer herd, uh, from in those like January, February, March, uh, months. Uh, you know, I think they just have to move so much more to survive. Um, I really learned about how they use the, the terrain. Um, 
<coughs> and so going into 2017, I just went in with so much more confidence and, um, you know, much better stand, much better access. Like I talked about, um, I had my first ever two buck year in 2017 it was the first time I had filled both my buck tags. Um, so going into 2018, I felt a little more confident and I felt really confident. I wouldn't say really confident, but I was somewhat confident that I would be able to find this buck later on in the year. And sure enough, um, right before Christmas, uh, I started getting lots of pictures of them, uh, in this little spot. I, I didn't have a feeder there, but it was a spot that I'd occasionally go pour a bag of corn on the ground. And, uh, it's just a tiny little 10th of an acre opening, uh, that I had, uh, taken the tractor over there and just planted a few oats just to try to, you know, make them have a reason to, to stand still. Um, and oddly enough, that was my, uh, that was my South wind stand. And like I said, you know, normally a nice, good time, you know, good cold front, uh, we have a North wind. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, I guess it was closer to his bedding. That's where he liked was that little bitty spot. Um, and, uh, but he was smart. I hunted that stand, you know, carefully, but I probably hunted that stand seven or eight different times, um, in November and early December. <coughs> and, you know, like I said, I'd, I'd have a few pictures of him. I'd go in there and hunt, nothing. Uh, back out, and like the next day, he'd be in there in daylight. And so I'd, you know, wait a few days, wait till the conditions are right, go in there to hunt, nothing. And, uh, and so I was really, uh, really confused. I tried hunting on the ground, you know, moving, moving places. Um, and so finally, uh, and again, I was hunting that with like a south, southeast wind because I just assumed he was coming from the south and the wind would be perfect. Well, January 5th rolls around and, uh, we had a really random west wind and we, we never have west winds. Um, but, uh, I had the afternoon off and I really wanted to hunt. And like I said, that buck had been pretty visible. <coughs> and so I got off, uh, got off work a little early. Um, I'm a big fan of Ozonics. And so I, uh, I had my clothes running in, in an Ozonics bag, uh, you know, stuck my bow in there for a little bit. Um, just made sure that I was as scent free as possible. Um, I, I typically bring a camera with me, didn't bring a camera, uh, I didn't bring a backpack. I went as minimalist as I possibly could. <coughs> and, uh, again, there was a west wind, which I I didn't think would be perfect, but I figured it would be good enough because, again, I thought he was coming from the south. All the pictures I had looked like he was coming up from the south. Uh, and, uh, excuse me, i got to take a drink of water real quick. Yep. So was, <sighs> was this buck, the, the trail camera pictures that you had mm -hmm. of – this deer that time of year were they all nocturnal sightings nope. or was he it was he was showing himself in daylight he was showing himself in daylight almost every evening okay. uh, except for the evenings i was there <laughs> yeah yeah <clears throat> um which was also kind of weird because you know like i said I, I hunted the stand a couple times uh and he wouldn't show up but like the next day he'd be back and so i didn't feel like i was putting that much pressure on him but somehow he knew I was there. And 
<laughs> again, most of the most of the pictures he was coming from the south, and so I just I knew I was hunting with the right wind, but somehow he was picking me up. Gotcha. Anyway, so here we are, January fifth, uh, random west wind, and I figure if he's coming from the south, I'll come in from the north. West will still work. Um, and so I'm sitting in my stand, and uh, uh, I think a doe came out, and I was kind of watching her. And then I heard footsteps coming from behind me, kind of the, it would have been the Northwest. And uh, I was like, oh, this must be another doe. And I look over and I see tines coming through the trees. And I thought, no way. And, uh, and sure enough, he steps out right below my stand. My stand's kind of on the edge of the clearing. He steps up right below me and it was him. And uh so i'm sitting there watching him and i'm like what in the world why is he coming from that way and uh something happened I, some, the doe did something and he ran off and so now i'm like oh great like i finally see this deer again in six years this is only the second time i've ever seen this deer in person and so sitting there and a few minutes later i hear footsteps same exact spot and so I'm sitting there and sure enough, here he comes right back out and he came up to the edge and he was five feet from my trail camera probably, but behind it, gotcha. uh, to the side, right. And then instead of coming out into the, the plot, he turns right and walks all the way around the edge of this opening and then comes up into the center from the South. And I, I hear my camera take a picture of him. Cause I'm, my camera's pretty close to me and, and I finally like it all clicked and, you know, a quarter of a second, uh, he was actually coming from the North. He was just circling around that plot, scent checking it and coming up from the South. And that's when I would get a picture of him. So the whole time mm -hmm. did you had a feeling that he was, let's see here. Do you feel that you were bumping him as you were coming to that stand when you would hunt then? I don't know if I was bumping him or just he was smelling me because the wind would have been like, a, you know, if it would have been a south or southeast wind like it normally was, the wind would have been going straight to him. Gotcha. And gotcha. so I don't know if he was bumping or if he just Picked was up. betting back there and picking me up every time. So and, so that, that west wind then happens. Mm -hmm. He's still mm -hmm. coming from the same direction. Yep. It, except now when he circles, he doesn't circle all the way downwind to you. Exactly. Okay. exactly. okay. So he was coming from the north, circling around towards the west, which was now upwind of me, and then coming in from the south. Gotcha. All right. So tell everybody how big this deer is, what his age is. So uh, he is eight and a half years old. And he is only about 120 inches, like I said, not not a big high-scoring deer. Mm -hmm. um, but, like I said, just the history, um, you know, like I said, I, I can show you a picture of three and a half, four and a half, five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half, and now eight and a half. Yeah. Um, big body. And, oh, huge body. Huge body. Tank. And uh, what was really kind of the most interesting thing was you could hold a picture of his rack up at three and a half and eight and a half, and they were completely identical. He had grown, grown. Uh, seven and a half was his biggest 
rack, and he actually added uh, – it changed a little bit, and he added some smaller points, had a real big G2 on one side. And then at eight, eight years old, he shrunk back down and was just, I mean, identical to his three-and-a-half-year-old rack. Wow. <clears throat> you know, I have a buck that's almost just like that. He had a couple uh, – I think my first year of trail camera pictures of him – he was a three-year-old. Then I got pictures of him as a f- uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, and I think this year may be the ninth year if mm-hmm. he's alive. Mm-hmm. But every year he looks healthy. Every yep. year, you know, within that five-year period right there, he, you know, he had a he had two years where he was just as like he's only an eight-pointer, but he's had like double main beams, yeah, and, or excuse me, double uh, brow tines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's had some years where he's like maybe a high 140s mm-hmm. eight pointer but then he he went back down recent till he like a 135 eight pointer just real tight mm-hmm. but he's got a ton of mass so yeah. a huge body right you look at this buck and you go mature all day long right and um i love stories like that uh, i just i hope my story ends with me killing this buck but uh but man it sounds like uh you got a Number one, a, a great piece of property to hunt, and you have high quality deer to hunt, and you got your access figured out, and that just gets that just it's going to keep getting better. Yeah, yep. And uh, you know, like it's kind of funny because I count this year as one of my best deer hunting years ever, and these two bucks that I killed this year are the smallest two bucks that I have killed since I was sixteen, and wow. I'm thirty years old now. <laughs> right. But so, just the, the history, the the age, and everything like that, uh, just made them you know that much cooler. Yeah, yeah. That's just another example of like the size of the rack doesn't mm-hmm. mean shit in that story, and I love it. Yeah, <clears throat> and the story keeps getting cool cooler with this deer. Uh, so he when he when he came out, he was facing me, mm-hmm. and uh, but there was a tree. There was a real skinny tree because I, I set my stand just off of the the clearing a little bit. Um, and part of the reason I left this tree standing was so it'd give me a chance to draw. And so he's walking straight at me. So I come to full draw. Uh, tree worked just like I wanted it to, and I'm just sitting there knowing that you know, eventually he's going to step out one side or the other and be broadside. And so I'm standing there at full draw, and he's just not moving. And so uh, I held draw as long as I could, um, you know, probably a good 45 seconds or so. And finally, I was like, all right, I got to let down. So I let down. And so my arms are, you know, cooking a little bit. <coughs> and, uh, and he finally steps out, but he's kind of quartering two, so I don't want to draw yet. And then he turns broadside. So I draw a second time, and uh, as soon as I draw – he turns again, but this time he's facing away from me. And so I'm sitting there and I can see him this time, but I just don't have a good shot. And so I'm holding, holding, holding. And just as I'm about to give up and let down the second time, uh, he turns. And so I put the pin on him and, uh, he was only about 16 yards at this point. And, uh, I, uh, hit my release the arrow goes off. And I guess just be, from being so tired, I uh, I floated forward just a little bit, um, but the arrow went through his shoulder, pierced his heart, hit the other shoulder, and he didn't take a step. I've, I've seen deer do it on TV, but I've never seen it my first. His back legs collapsed, and he 
flipped over backwards, and there he was. Basically, you hit the off button. I, I did. Yep. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And uh, and then you got it. You got to do it again next year. I know it. Now the pressure's on. I've got. I've filled both tags two years in a row. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, did you have a deer? A big boy. I'm I'm talking not necessarily age, but you know, let's let's feed the feed the dogs here. Right. <laughs> a big antlered buck that you are excited to see if he made it or if he's going to return, or um, that you, maybe you had on the hit list last year, but never never had an encounter with. I do. Uh, so I I picked up a deer uh, in early October that I actually thought was the big ten point that I'd been after. Um, that, you know, the neighbor had lied to me about. Um, and so I got real excited for him. Uh, but his rack was, I mean, a perfect match. The only difference was that he had split a G2. Um, but I mean, it was a little bigger. Everything else looked the same. I was like, okay, well he just got bigger and uh, it split. Um, and so I was watching that deer. Um, and actually the, the thing that made me start questioning it was I got a picture of that buck and this eight year old buck uh, together and the body, like the eight year old just dwarfed this other buck and which just didn't make sense. Cause I, I was thinking this buck should have been six and a half. Um, and then I finally, once I talked to my neighbor and figured out that they had killed that 10 point and I went back with, you know, clear eyes, the one that I was thinking was him was actually a beautiful, uh, three and a half year old 11 point. That's probably, I bet this year he would have gone 160. Um, okay. And so I'm hoping that, uh, you know, these these big old bucks are fun, but I'm hoping to get into the, the big giant bucks again next year. So. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Well, good luck, man. I hope it all, uh, I hope it all works out for you this upcoming year as well. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'm, I'm excited. All right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and chit chat with us for a little bit and share uh, share your awesome season. Yeah, yep. I appreciate it and I uh, appreciate all I've learned from you. All right, we're done with this podcast. Huge shout out to John for hopping on again and uh, sharing that story, those stories with us and talking to us about his Oklahoma property, man. Really appreciate that. Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Lone Wolf. Portable tree stands, ripcord, arrow rest, wasp broadheads, ozonic scent elimination, and prime bows, prime archery. Uh, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because when you support them, they can continue to support me and then I can feed you. I feel like I'm a drug dealer sometimes. I just feed you the goods, right? Get the goods, get the goods from Dan Johnson, right? You get that? That's good, right? Whatever. All right, I'm losing track. I'm losing track. Here we go. Uh, if you haven't already, please go check out the short film tradition. It's a turkey hunting film that me and uh, my buddy Curtis Zabel um, put a lot of time and energy into. It, it's an awesome film about uh, tradition and family in the outdoors and hunting turkey. And uh, I'm jacked that uh, um, it's made. So if you haven't had the opportunity, go check it out. Share it and uh, we'll go from there. Other than that, 
subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast either on the Sportsman's Nation whitetail feed or the standalone feed. Don't care where or how you listen to it. Just listen to it and subscribe. Go check us out on social media, Instagram and Facebook, Sportsman's Nation, Nine Finger Chronicles and all the other um, uh, content providers that are on the network. Other than that, hope everybody has a great week. Be safe. If you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good day.